Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Offensive linemen oftentimes don't get the love in the game of football. They're the guys that do all the dirty work for the skill players, the guys that wear the larger numbers and don't look as good in front of the camera. And oftentimes people don't even know what they look like, but that's what makes their stories even better because they're in the trenches. They're right there for every key play. As part of the Professional Football Researchers Association podcast, we've had the pleasure to talk to a number of players thus far and even former coaches like on our previous episodes, like a Wayne Fonts who coached for the Detroit Lions. We talked to Mark Miller, our quarterback who played for the Browns and the Packers. But on this episode, we discussed the idea of an offensive lineman with you, and that's Ed White the former Minnesota Viking and former San Diego Charger, who had the chance to tell us his stories and tell us a little bit more about what made his career special. There's some great stories in here, too, stuff that you will not want to miss from our discussion with Ed White. George and I had such a great time picking his brain and talking to him about everything that he did over his really very long career, from stories involving Dan Fouts and the Chargers and Don Coriel to even the stories about Bud Grant and what it was like to play in Minnesota. And what was it like to play in back-to-back games, the game against the Miami Dolphins, and then the game the next week in Cincinnati when it was so cold that, well, people still have frostbite till this day that we're at that game in the early 80s. Ed White, our guest on the Professional Football Researchers Association podcast as part of the Sports History Network. former Minnesota Viking, former San Diego Charger. They were the San Diego Chargers back then where they should rightfully be still today. And uh, that is Ed White, a great offensive lineman in his time in the league. And uh, Ed, we're so tickled to have you on the show tonight and have you as part of this. And and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, John and George. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm proud to be a part of your group. So let's uh, let's discuss football for you, Ed. Um, obviously, you carved out a, a pretty darn good career. Uh, I believe it was four Pro Bowls that you found yourself in in the time that you were in the league. Um, and you really, as I said, you carved out some special things. You played for some special teams. But let's go back before that. I ask almost every guest that we have that was a player this, and I want to ask you this. What drove you? to the game of football was it a parent was it a family member was it the the violence of the game what was it that drove you to wanting to be a football player ed it was just the love of uh being out there and playing football as a small boy uh in the street 
And uh, I, I, I played until we had to get, go inside and have dinner. And if we got hurt and started crying, we'd have to go in early. So we never got hurt. And uh, I ended up uh, be, growing up in, in San Diego. And uh, uh, we, on the weekends, we a bunch of us would gather at the junior high school and play on a little patch of grass. And five or six of us ended up getting major college scholarships. Uh, it, we'd all moved away to different places, but just the things we learned, uh, just playing together without any adult leadership or anything, uh, it just we built a lot of uh, a lot of uh, the things you needed to to succeed. There is a certain kind of like uh, rigidness to the game, and there is a certain amount of uh, I guess discipline to the game that you kind of learn at a young age, isn't there? Did that kind of did that kind of find its way through you guys as you guys were growing up playing on the playground? I think so. I think that, uh, it, 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 you know, it's, it's a lot of pride. You know, you, you, when you're just with your peers, the pressure is so much greater if it's put on by yourself than if it's put on by somebody else. And I think that the pressure you put on yourself just to, to be outstanding amongst your, your buddies uh, is the, the, probably the greatest pressure you could have. And uh, I, I look back on that and, uh, you know, there not only did five guys go to major college colleges and play ball, but three of us, three or four of us played pro ball. And uh, it, it's just amazing, amazing statistic. That is truly amazing. I, I know of a similar situation here in Northeast Ohio. There's a, a little village called East Canton. It's now a, a little township and there's like three or four guys that grew up a couple houses uh, away from each other. And they were kind of the same situation as you. And they all kind of kept track of each other as they were rising up through the game. But who was your first influence then? I mean, obviously you playing with the guys on the playground is big, but which coach was the first influence for you? Or was it a, was it a teacher? Was it a parent? Who was it that influenced you to becoming the player that you were? Well, I, you know, I think that uh, I had, I had a, a really outstanding junior high school coach we didn't play football in junior high school, but we, we played on the playground and did different things. And he was uh, just a superhuman being. And I just aspired to be like him as a person and uh, treat people, you know, with respect. And, and, and he taught me a lot. And, uh, and then growing up, you know, I, I, was, I was very fortunate if I worked backwards uh, you know, my career in the NFL was what it was because, first of all, I played for two of the best coaches to coach in football, Don Coriel and Bud Grant. And those guys, they knew how to take care of the players. They were both players, outstanding athletes, and, and, and both just ex exemplary people as examples and treated us as players. And they didn't, they, they didn't beat us up. Uh, Minnesota Bud – we came in training camp last St. Louis. I mean, not St. Louis, uh, New Orleans had been in training camp three months earlier and half of them were on the injury reserve list before the first game. And, and we, we came in six weeks before our first uh, preseason game and we were healthy as could be all season long and ready for the playoffs. And it, and that went a long way. And, uh, and Don, it was the same way. He, uh, you know, he was uh, a special person, uh, treated us uh, 
you know, as adults, as Bud did, and uh, and we responded as adults and uh, played hard for him, and he was he was funny and fun, and and we loved it, and uh, I'm so happy to see him go in the Hall of Fame this year. Ed, before you got to the pros, you uh, played your college ball, Berkeley, uh, and you were an All-American there. Can you tell us something about your, your college experience on the gridiron? Well, I went, I, I, I went to Berkeley, which was, uh, you know, I, I, had, I, was, I was in Southern California at the time in the desert at Indio High School, where I went to school. Uh, and uh, flying into the Bay Area was like flying into Shangri-La. It, it was beautiful. And uh, Berkeley was a beautiful campus. It's, you know, it's a lot like stepping on Notre Dame's campus or uh, Penn State. I really, it's gorgeous, green, beautiful. Uh, and I just, I fell in love with it. And the academics, uh, I, I studied architecture and then ended up in landscape architecture. And uh I, I, I really enjoyed that experience. I had uh, Ray Wilsey uh, as my head coach, and Bill Dunton was my position coach. I was a defensive tackle, and uh, he was uh, all about technique and, and being a technician. And I loved that, and that served me well as a coach and, and a player, uh, because to me, technique is is uh, most of the game. You know, being a good technician. Ed White is our guest, former uh, San Diego Charger and Minnesota Viking, and he's a member of the Professional Football Researchers Association Hall of Very Good. If you would like to go to the uh, PFRA website and read about him, he is in the Hall of Very Good. And, and I want to kind of approach that subject a little bit with you, Ed, early on here, because I, I was reading before we got on here that Dan Fouts, your quarterback, uh, has been very vocal that you should have a gold jacket that has your name on it. When you hear that, when when you see a guy who's got a gold jacket, has a bust in Canton, hear that and say that about you, what does that mean to you? And and, and how do you feel about that situation? I'm, I'm curious to know. Well, to me, that's the mo- to me that's the most important thing. Uh, you know. Um, it's a it becomes a popularity type of thing and i don't know that i was that popular but i I know that you know dan and people that i played with and against uh you know uh, a lot of the people have written bob Lilly, bob brown uh, the guys that that i respect and i played against have said wonderful things and that that means as much to me as anything to tell you the truth and so i you know the other it's like, you know, when it's left up to a lot of people to make a vote, then, you know, I, I, offensive line is not a position a lot of people focus on. Ed, you mentioned Bob Lilly and Bob Brown there. Who was the toughest defensive lineman that you came up against? And you said, geez, I got to be at the top of my game against this guy. Well, those are two of them right, right there. I, I was really fortunate in uh, both San Diego and Minnesota. In uh, in Minnesota, I, I practiced against Alan Page every day. And uh, when Sunday came around, there, there wasn't too many people that were quicker than Alan. And so uh, – and smarter you know alan's a judge now and so i retired but uh you know just a brilliant guy and uh, uh unbelievable athlete and so that honed my skills pretty good and uh louis kelcher in san diego was you know a different kind of he was a big animal i mean and, and so that prepared me for that type of person so i had a well-rounded uh 
a group of guys to work against. And, and that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I mean, not many guys get to practice. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the guys in Pittsburgh probably felt the same way going against the steel curtain in practice every day, but you got a chance to go against the purple people leaders every day in practice that every, that had to make, that had to make Sundays a little bit easier, didn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, on Wednesday we went, we went pretty good. And, uh, and so, uh, in fact, we, we, we kind of beat each other up and Bud moved me to right uh, from left guard to right guard because Alan and I were beating each other up. And uh, so he said, yeah, you, you're, you know, you, you don't need to beat Alan up anymore and he doesn't need to beat you up and, and you'll be playing next to your buddy, Ron Yeri, and, uh, you know, you'll get more attention. I said, well, that, that's fine. And so I, and I played the end of my career at right guard playing next to Ron. Yeah, tell me about Ron. I've I've had the the pleasure to interview Ron one time when he was in Canton at, at the Hall of Fame, and he's 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 like double the size of me. His hand basically eats mine when he tries <laughs> to shake it. But tell me about playing next to Ron. I mean, you and him going toe to toe against each other, or next to each other like that. What was that like having another awesome lineman right next to you? Oh, it was fantastic. We, uh, you know, we did a lot of team blocking and and cross blocking, and and we just you know we we complimented each other. Uh, we studied together. We sat together and we watched film and we really, uh, we worked together well. Uh, he's my neighbor now. He moved out here from Texas. He's about five houses down the street and, uh, and we're enjoying each other's company again, but it was, uh, it was a real pleasure. Ed, you had the opportunity to protect some big names at quarterback, starting with Joe Cap, and then obviously Fran Tarkington. And then you've already mentioned Dan Fouts. What was that like? What were the differences in terms of the protection of those kind of quarterbacks? Well, they they were all different. Uh, uh, the, the protection for Dan and for Joe was similar. Uh, Joe was a better athlete than he looked like on film. Uh, in fact, he was a great athlete. He took uh, Cal to the to the uh, to the uh, champion NCAA. I don't know if they went to the finals, but he was the captain of the basketball team. He took him to the Rose Bowl. Uh, the only time I think Cal's been in the Rose Bowl, he was a quarterback. He was a good athlete. Uh, he, he took a lot of heat for throwing the ducks and all that, but he was as good an athlete as, athlete as he was. He was a fabulous leader, and and uh, he led by example. He, he'd be the first guy to stick his nose in there. Uh, jump over somebody and knock him out like he did Dale Lindsay in, in one of the playoff games. He's a, he was just a tough son of a gun and, and a great guy. And, uh, and, and I, and I, and I love Joe and sorry to, you know, see him go this year. And uh, he was a good friend. And, and then, and then uh, Tarkington, you know, amazing. He was, he was the, uh, the athlete of the bunch and he could move and he could get you out of trouble uh, you know, he very rarely would get sacked. Oftentimes, we wouldn't know where he was sitting up. He was moving around back there so athletically, but he was a great leader. And uh, and uh, you know, we we just you know, like I said, I was fortunate to play for the coaches that surrounded me with fantastic people, and uh, and and that that's one of them. You know, when we were having issues at quarterback. Uh, when when Joe was at the end of his career, uh, he went and got Fran, you know, and uh, and uh, Coach Coriel, you know, uh, had Dan and and uh, and took care of him and and used him 
in, in a way that fit the things that that he had in mind to move the football. And that's Don was, uh, you know, a genius at moving the ball with Ernie Zampezi. You know, I, I think people um, remember, obviously, Ron being next to you on the line, but but on the other side was Mick Tinglehoff. And I think yeah. a lot of people kind of kind of underappreciate Mick. I know he went into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, but just just speak about Mick because I, I saw him in Canton when he had kind of like lost his wits a little bit about him. And it was it was kind of right. sad to not be able to talk to him. But um Tell me about Mick. Tell me what it was like playing next to him and just the warrior that he was. Because I heard he never You're not going to say that about me after this interview, are you, John? No, 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 no. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. Just kidding. Uh, Mick Mick was a fantastic friend and human being. Uh, You know, he was a guy that didn't say much. He was a Nebraskan through and through. I married a Nebraskan, so I could say that. And uh, Mick was a beauty. He, he was just a fantastic uh, human being. Uh, those guys treated me. Uh, you know, I started right off the bat. The starting guard got appendicitis, and I started the first four games of our first Super Bowl year, '69 uh, against the Chiefs. And uh, you know, played against a lot of a lot of good guys. Played against Bob Lilly is one of them, one of them. And I was a defensive lineman that you know at a training camp to get ready at offensive guard. And 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 all those guys, Mick and Grady Alderman, uh, and and Joe Cap. They didn't make they didn't make me feel like they were concerned at all about a rookie that played defensive tackle starting the season for him, and that gave me so much confidence, uh, you know, in, in in what I had to contribute. You mentioned Alan Page. He came up a, a lot early on there with a guy that you got to go against. But, I mean, you played the Chiefs. You went against Willie Lanier. Uh, you, you played the Cowboys. You went against Bob Lilly. Was there one guy that, that stood out above anybody else that you played against in a game that was, <laughs> like, tougher than anybody? And you're like, that's a tough SOB. Well, you know, I, I tell you, when, when the middle linebackers are Ray Nitschke, Willie Lanier, uh, you know, I could go on and on. And, and the defensive linemen were Bob Lilly, Bob Brown. You know, there it was a week after week. They, there, there just wasn't any drop off. They, they were all studs, and and most importantly, they were all intelligent guys. I mean, the smarter the guy, the better the guy. I mean, they knew. Uh, I felt like Bob Lilly knew what I was doing before I did it, you know, as, as soon as I moved a muscle, it just co-signed what Bob had already figured out through watching me and, and, and watching film and all, all the great ones had that ability. Alan had that ability. Uh, Bob Brown, all, all those guys had that ability. And, uh, and they were all blessed with some, you know, uh, you know, Bob was just a, Bob, Bob Brown was just a, 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 a he-man, you know. He was just brutal. And and Willie Lanier was like hitting an oak tree. I mean, he just didn't move. <laughs> so, anyway, take your pick. They're all great. Ed, you had the opportunity to play in four Super Bowls. And I know in the 70s, I sort of feel like I, you know, 
be growing up in that same era. Um, I was born in the fifties, but I always felt that the Super Bowl was was really developing during that time frame. Now it's this huge extravaganza. Right. Uh, not, not to say it wasn't then, but it yeah, just, it was. <laughs> what 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 was that experience like? Because you know, some hope to play in one. You played in four. What was that experience like? The build up, actually being there and being part of that. I think that, you know, Bud protected us so much and nothing against the press, but we we weren't allowed to spend much time around the press during the football season. He didn't allow them in the locker room. And like a lot of teams let them come in and they, they kind of take over. The locker room was our sanctuary. Uh, if you wanted to talk to one of the guys, you had to get a time. So there wasn't as much contact. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, and, and we didn't do a lot of things outside of the team. And all of a sudden, and it was big back then, uh, you know, even a lot different than it is now, but it, it was still huge. And <clears throat> and you'd go and you'd sit at a table, you'd be surrounded by 20 or 30 reporters from all over the world, cameras going, and, 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 and that ha- all of a sudden, you know, these little guys from Minnesota that have been living in a closet are, are exposed to that. And I don't think we were that prepared for that as as football players. It, that, uh, you know, I remember the Raiders and how they they kind of, it was tongue-in-cheek with them. And they, uh, you know, Madden let them go out and have fun and blah, blah, blah. And we were pretty rigid in all of them. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, you get beat, you get beat. And so we were beaten by better teams, uh, maybe at that moment, not to say that we couldn't have beat them at another time, but th- something, something wasn't right. And, uh, we just had, we had great teams and, uh, it's a, it's a shame we didn't, you know, capture one of those. Do you think you mentioned the word rigid? Do you think that was part of playing for somebody like Bud Grant? Because I always look at, at you played for two. Well, you played for a Hall of Fame coach in Bud Grant and Don Coryell is going to go in the Hall of Fame this year. So you played for two Hall of Fame coaches. And, and I guess from my viewpoint, I always looked at Bud Grant during that time frame as being sort of a stoic, uh, quiet leader, but, but, you know, serious. Whereas I, I think the, the press and everything else always pointed to Coriel as sort of being more cerebral because of the offense and Eric Coriel and everything else. Is that, is that an accurate assessment of the two coaches or? or yeah, that that's pretty close, George, but uh, hey, Coriel was kind of, you know, he was on the edge. He was a little crazy. So he, you know, he kept you on your toes too, because he, he was serious about winning football. I'll tell you that. And, and, and he knew how to get the right group together to do that. So uh, he was as serious about winning and, and doing football right as, as Bud was. That, that's for sure. But Bud was, Bud was different. Yeah, Bud was not warm and fuzzy, you know. He was consistent. And, you know, he, he always uh, – uh, to me, he was like General Patton. He, would, he was like a, a, a general, a great general in, in our military. That's how I – felt like Bud was. Coriel was like the Mad Hatter. 
<laughs> when you played in San Diego, you played in two rather famous games. And and I'm going to turn it over to John because he's looking at me because I think he was going to ask the same question I was. Yeah, okay. no, no. I was, no, no. Great minds. <laughs> I guess, I guess like father, like son in this case. <laughs> good, good segue. It, it is. But, but I was going to ask you, I mean, you, you play in the game against the Dolphins, that, that marathon game where Kellen Winslow gets carried off the field and then the next week you have to recoup your body to be able to go into to riverfront stadium in cincinnati when it was what like negative a thousand degrees that day so yeah. i mean what, what was that like back to back could you even feel your body after those two weeks well the the miami game was it, it just sapped you you know and 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 i was lockering next to louis kelcher who was probably 350 and Louie, you know, had to carry that around, uh, you know, a lot, uh, it was a lot bigger chore for him than it was for me, but I was still totally sapped and I'll never forget. I was sitting, sitting in front of my locker, exhausted and Louie is getting interviewed and the guy interviews Louie and finishes and then turns to me with the microphone and said, Ed, how did you feel after this game? And I, I said, Oh, Louis said he, he felt like he he rode horseback from he's from Texas from Texas to California, and and he said Ed, how do you feel? I said I feel like the horse that Louis rode. <laughs> anyway, it was funny. <laughs> you had to be there. And That's a great so, quote. Yeah, well, that was my best my best line, so I had to use it tonight. But but that that's how exhausted I was, and uh, and the other one was like. Uh, it, that game shouldn't have been played and they tried to move it. And, uh, you know, uh, Paul Brown would have nothing to do with it. He insisted that that game be played in that condition and it, and it shouldn't have been, it really shouldn't have been. And, uh, a lot of our guys, in fact, Dan has frostbite today because of it. A lot of guys got frostbite. Uh, you know, it was, it was just too cold to be, to play a game. It, you, you you couldn't think you couldn't you didn't want to hit anybody it was your body ached and it affected both teams but it, it i think it affected us more uh because uh, what i learned is the fair weather teams ha having played in minnesota worry more about the weather conditions in the in the teams that play outside in weather and 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 it defocuses them which it did us we were more concerned about what kind of gloves are we going to wear? And they're talking about scuba gloves and all. We were, as players, they were more concerned about how you're going to stay warm than how are you going to block Alan Page or, you know, Dick Butkus or whatever. And uh, it, it, it's, it's a big advantage when you play outside and, and, and practice outside like we did in Minnesota. And I think they lost that edge when they went inside. George, go ahead. Ed, uh, following your football career, I found it very interesting as I was researching about your your life as an artist. Uh, and I know the other day when we first talked and we were trying to get a hold of each other, you were at a, uh, I believe, a retreat at the Oak Lake uh, Art Center, which I know is 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 something that, that is, is a fondness in your heart. Can you tell us about you know, the, the transition from your football career to becoming an artist and some of the things that you've done. Cause I know that, 
you said you were working with youth over this past weekend. Uh, I saw some pictures online with you and uh, an ex-Browns player, Jerry Shirk. Uh, yep. can, can you tell us a little bit about your art career? Well, I, I've always been an artist, and uh, uh, and I didn't major in art. I majored in architecture and landscape architecture, but uh, art has always been important to me as a, a small boy, and and it, and it remains so. I'm actually uh, doing a big commission for a couple of players. George Koontz has commissioned me to do a large piece for him, and uh, and John Beasley, the tight my tight end of Minnesota. So I'm I'm you know. I just had my total hip replaced, so I've kind of <laughs> my. I haven't been out in the studio, so those guys. I'm sorry, guys. It's it's taken longer, but anyhow, art has always been important, and uh, so I, I I share it with young people, you know. And I do a lot. I've done a lot of work with uh, Jerry Shirk has worked with a lot of. Uh, young kids that have had the misfortune of, uh, you know, being in the drug courts and uh, different things. And I've done a lot of that, a lot of boys and girls clubs, and I teach them how to paint with acrylic. I mean, a lot of people never get a chance to paint acrylic in their whole life. And, and here are these kids. I went, uh, I spent two days. My son's a principal of a summer school that, uh, mostly Hispanic kids in the desert. And, uh, my wife Joanne and I went down and, and did a two-day class with 50 kids, and and the, their paintings were fantastic. And they ranged from third grade to fifth grade, and uh, it, it wore us out. I'm not sure how many more times I can do that, but uh, it's it's really rewarding to 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 look at them and to see uh, you know them create something that they're proud of. And uh, you know, it's like in our house, I have three paintings on the wall that each of our kids did growing up around that age. And, and I'm sure these are going to go up on the wall of, of their parents' home. And so it's a, it's a, a very enlightening experience for me and, and, and my wife and, and, and Jerry Shirk and Brian Seip also uh, joins in. John, Brian's an artist and an architect and uh, Brian goes with me sometimes. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a fun thing. That's really cool to to hear that that art has obviously taken such a big role in your life. What what else do you do then, Ed, to try to try to promote the arts and, and try to promote that for four generations coming up? And 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 what can you do to because I mean obviously a lot of people think of you as the football player and they're probably like, oh, he wants people to play football. But are, are the arts almost a little bit more important to you now than maybe the game of football was? Well, <clears throat> You know, when I was in the game of football, no, but, you know, now, now that I don't football, uh, you know, it, it, it strokes your ego, you know, a lot, a lot, but not to the point where I don't think about it a lot. And, and I, you know, I, I watch it because I think it's exciting. I think uh, uh, I like the fact that the, uh, the young kids are, are making more of, of the pie and, than, than we did, unfortunately, because, you know, I'm a perfect example of, you know, having my hip replaced. I need to have a shoulder replay. I mean, of how you end up when you're in your 70s and 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 maybe earlier, uh, you need to be reciprocated for it if they're making the kind of money they make, period. And so I'm happy for those kids. Sometimes I wish they acted a little better, but, you know, you can't control that. We acted crazy some of the time too, but I, I think that uh, I think it's fair and I think it's good, 
And I think the game, they're making it safer. Uh, they practice differently. Uh, their rules are different. And I think it's all positive. I think uh, you don't need to be cutting people down and, and getting in their legs. And, and you know, the, the, the knees are important for your life, for the rest of your life and, and, and your body. And I think, I think that's all good. So I'm, I'm happy the way it's gone. And I think it's, I think they got a great game. I think those kids are flying around and knocking the crap out of each other, just like we did. You know, um, our previous podcast guest was a guy by the name of Jeff Nixon, uh, played for the uh, Buffalo Bills. I see you shaking your head already. You might I know, know Jeff. This, yeah, you might know where this is going. He told <laughs> us to tell you. Okay. Uh, and this is just this is I don't shoot the messenger here because he just told us to tell you this. Try dirty. He, he said he said Ed White ended his football career. He that's that's what he claims. How? He said he said you and him fell in the same direction and you fell on his leg. He told us to give you crap about it and razz you about it a little bit. He said it was mostly tongue in cheek. Well, tell him if he was a better athlete, he wouldn't be on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jeff's a good one. I I I've never intentionally hurt anybody. I you know I I my goal as a player was to go a hundred percent from the sit from the sit to the end until the whistle and i went full speed i never tried to hurt anybody but i tried to beat up everybody it's a good attitude to have as an offensive lineman uh ed white our guest uh former uh minnesota viking former san diego charger all around uh, great guy we've been lucky george i know you had another question and i wanted to ask this earlier when you were at when you were at berkeley you were there during the 60s obviously uh you know <laughs> a period of you know as you know uh, yeah. unre unrest in the country did you have did you experience any of that while you were at berkeley oh yeah but i i was i was a, a conservative uh person and and actually most of the people that i hung around with were conservative most of the uh most of the demonstrators were not students they were people that would come on campus uh and and create havoc and, and sure there was a percentage of students but most of the people that i knew were not involved in that i, I would in fact i, I would take my uh, drawing board and and I did a lot of in fact I did a painting of a picture that I drew of of the riots with uh, uh, Mario Savio and they carrying this I, I was there so I drew a, a sketch of it and I did a painting for a, a friend of mine uh, my roommate that uh, is the head of the alumni was he retired now and I did a, a full blown painting of that for him and uh, so I witnessed it and watched it. And, um, it, you know, it, it shaped some things for me because I think, you know, uh, like the war, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I think there are reasons to go to war sometimes, but there might be reasons that, you know, maybe maybe we we go for other reasons other than, you know, and so it makes you look at things and go, hey, are we what are we doing there in Vietnam? Are we doing something for us or them or is it for our economy or whatever? It makes you just think about it, not to draw any conclusions, but 
it, you make, it makes you question some things. And that's what I think Berkeley did for me. But I was relatively conservative about my thinking. You know, you mentioned something earlier that I also wanted to, to, to touch on with you, Ed, because I, I think this is something that so many guys that, that played football in the 60s and 70s and, and even into the 80s have discussed is, is player safety and how the game has changed. When we did talk to Jeff on the previous podcast, he, he said he remembers a, a day in time where, you know, the, the team medic would basically just throw pills at you until something stuck and you started feeling better. Can, can you speak to what that kind of wild, wild West was like that you maybe played in where it was that sense of, Hey, you got a headache or, Hey, you got an arm that's hurting. Let's just throw pills at you until you feel better. What was that like? And, and, and how have you seen it change over the years? Well, I think it's as you know, the knowledge of medicine and how you and sports medicine, particularly, I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure it was a career back then even. And, and these guys have gone, come a long way. And, and I think all that, all that is part of the progress that goes, but yeah, there was, you know, You'd get, you know, it wasn't uncommon for you. If you had something wrong, they'd give you a shot of Novocaine or something to numb the pain. You know, I'm not sure they do those kind of things this day and age, but uh, uh, who knows? I, I think there's a lot, they're a lot more conservative about putting you back on the field if there's a chance that there's something wrong. But I, I for me, it's, I've had, you know, rib situations where they shot the ribs up and you go back out there. Well, I might've had a broken rib that might've punctured a lung. Hey, who knows? You know, I don't know. I'm sure today it's a lot different deal. They probably take you in and take, get an x-ray and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a different day and age. And I think they protect the player more. And I think that's at that time, you know, guys were, I mean, I know I grew up, Hey, rub a little dirt on it or your mom's going to make you come in and, and uh, you know, <laughs> before the sun goes down. So different his, age his his dad my my grandfather told us a famous story that when he was a high school kid he had a friend that played on the team and he got a concussion and the coach of the high school team in canton came out and tightened the kid's belt that was around his pants and said you're okay get the hell back in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, 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 and i mean I, I i couldn't see that nowadays yeah no no somebody be sued probably <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think what Jeff referred to yesterday when we talked to Jeff Nixon was is there was sort of a warrior attitude. You didn't want to come out, so you just kept playing, and and sometimes you just felt that pressure to just keep staying in there, even though maybe your your mind was telling you that probably wasn't a good idea. But I think that that was sort of the the warrior aspect of the game. It, it, no, there's no question, and and as I mentioned, it starts as a young boy. You, you're, you know, you don't want to have your peer, your peers, your friends see you, you know, go crying off and, and leaving. Uh, and, 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 and that, that's it. I, you know, I see myself as a warrior. I, I don't know if the, it's that way today, but I felt like I was a warrior and, and, and that was my job to be a, a soldier and a warrior. And that's, that's what I did. And I was proud of it. 
Ed, last thing I want to ask you, because I, I know he is going into the Hall of Fame this year, and I know it, it probably means a, a whole heck of a lot to you, but I, I wanted to give you a chance to, to speak about your coach, uh, Don Coriel, getting the chance to, to finally go into the Hall of Fame. What does it mean to you to see that, and what does it mean to you to, to finally kind of have him be in there after so many years of people saying he deserved it, to finally get that honor for him? What does that mean to you? Well, it, it, it means a lot because it's a it's a just a verification of of what a lot of people know what I know, and he was so special to me, and I, I and he made me feel special. He, uh, I know he didn't want to cut me, so he hired me as an assistant coach. <laughs> so that's the kind of relationship we had, and so I went from playing to coaching on his coaching staff with the Chargers, and. Uh, Don was just a special guy. He had Joanne and I up to his place and up in uh, in the Puget Sound, and and he was just a, a, a wonderful guy. And I can't say enough about him. And he was a, a, a genius of moving the football, and and he and he did it, you know, the most expedient way, and that was through the air. <laughs> and and that that was his whole philosophy was. Hey, it's a lot easier to get yards throwing that ball. <laughs> throw it. Throw it. You would always say, throw it to Kellen. <laughs> throw it at Kellen. And and I've heard that more and more. And so and, anyway, it's it's it, it, it means a lot to see him go in and I'll be honed in on the television uh watching that. Ed White, uh, former San Diego Charger, former Minnesota Viking, uh, and, and an artist, and and so much that's uh, touched the lives of so many. And Ed, we we so appreciate you being part of the podcast tonight. Great stories, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, John. Thank you, George. Thank Good talking to you guys. And I I think you you know as as I get older and 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 in the, uh, in the coffin corner, which is your newsletter, which I love. Uh, every time I see the coffin corner, it, uh, it gives me the chills. <laughs> and then, then I open it up and look at all the guys in the past, and I go, holy cow, I see why it's called that. But anyway, I love it and love what you guys are doing. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Ed, thanks right. for joining us. Have a great you night. Bet. Take care. Yep. See you guys. Thanks, Ed. Thanks. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.